Welcome to the Social Justice War Room, the podcast where we deal with social justice in fiction, reality, and everything in between. My guest is a YouTuber who I met through a mutual acquaintance in Forced Adversity. They do a channel with video essays on pop culture, politics, and autism issues. Please welcome Willow of Questing Refuge. How are you doing today? Hi, uh, doing pretty good. How about you? Good. So I was following your channel. I know we have a mutual friend in Dane Whitman of Forced Adversity. And yeah, I guess we're, we're both part of that kind of comics for all movement that's a counteract to the right wing poison that is most of the internet, it seems. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so... I was really enjoying looking through all your videos and I saw several themes repeated, particularly a theme that's personally important to me as well, which is autism acceptance, which is, as mm -hmm. you made clear in one of your videos, different from autism awareness. Do you want to explain a bit about that? Yeah. Um, so... I mean, there, 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 there is some overlap where they, they, they feed into each other a little bit, um, but awareness tends to be very focused on kind of just like, like charities, random things where it's kind of like, uh, oh, we're, we just want to make people aware of this thing, so like learn about autism, uh, things like that. And the problem with that uh, is. Well, there's a few problems with it, but I guess, I guess so the main thing is these tend to not center like autistic people. Um, and so one problem uh, that we see is you tend to get organizations who maybe don't have our best interests in mind. Uh, there's some particularly bad ones <laughs> like Autism Speaks. Yes. Quite. And um, so that's that's one problem of it. Um, and this is this is true for a lot of charity stuff, I guess, in general. Um, and then the other issue with that is like, it kind of makes like the info like the goal and like one that's not a good end goal and two um it doesn't like it doesn't actually like change anyone's lives and also like it's kind of like training you can't the solution can't be that everyone's going to learn about something and and that's going to fix it like that's a terrible strategy for anything like obviously you want information available so if someone runs into something or whatever that they can find good info like that is useful but like there's too many things in the world like you're not going to be able to look up and learn everything so um i just don't find awareness useful in that way and so acceptance is more about you know actually giving you know meeting needs basically um and that could be done in many ways whether that's you know direct money or services or um, and a lot of that that I was trying to get to in that video is it has to start literally before you're aware. So like when you're a kid, I mean, I got diagnosed late in life and this is true for a lot of autistics. Um, like it's not going to help you if like you don't even know you're autistic or people around you don't know you're autistic. So like by the time, you know, like you've already experienced a bunch of harm and, and been weeded out. So one of my, things in there I was trying to make the argument for is acceptance also implies you know changing the environment so it's more friendly to different like neurotypes um in the first place and then you don't you know 
you you need awareness less at that point because you've just made the environment better um, for everybody. And and you know with that, um, it also improves things for neurotypical people. Like a lot of you know, it's it's kind of like a you know you build a ramp, uh, you know, for someone with a wheelchair, and that helps everybody. Like there's uses yeah. for that. Um, so it's the same kind of idea. I was watching your video on the Netflix show Atypical about an autistic high school boy and watching it was about as pleasant as the time I got food poisoning in terms of the (laughs) show itself, not your commentary. And in terms of awareness and how it means making you aware, but the context isn't to making people aware in a way that makes autism seem like something that's acceptable the characters would it be fair to say that he's very stereotypical yeah i mean he's definitely the i mean we we it's it's the main stereotype we tend to get we occasionally get slight twists on that formula but like it's it's pretty much the same thing um and and yeah it 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 ignores i guess our frustration with that is you know on, on one hand I, I kind of get it because I get that like we need some portrayals um, that are more for like the majority audience for neurotypicals. And so like they're trying to use stories that are more relatable to them. But the, the problem with that is like when that's all we're getting, um, you know, and, and to be fair to typical, like, uh, you know, it, it got, it gets better. Like the, the later seasons are definitely an improvement. They brought some, Autistic writers on. Um, it's still not like flawless by any by any means, but the it did get at least a little bit better. Um, but yeah, it's I don't know, like yeah, it just it just tends to that's another frustration, I guess, is on top of that, when this focus on kind of awareness of like, hey, isn't it great we're representing autistic people? It doesn't really get into a lot of things that we actually face. Like, yeah, like social issues are like uh like social anxiety and and um communication issues like yeah obviously that is something that i've struggled with and and most of us have um but like i I feel like that's like downstream from the bigger problems and and so like again it's like if you addressed some bigger concerns it would it would kind of inherently help with communication right like yeah yeah, like you know I, i don't know so that's yeah it's a huge frustration of mine uh especially your class stuff like you almost never see like money as an issue. And it's like that, that's such a huge hurdle for everyone for like getting access to support and everything else. Like that most people don't even have the time to worry about the other things um, yeah. in real life. And so it's kind of like, you, you can't ignore this. This is like, <laughs> like it's vital, you know? I, I always say that the biggest thing that pushed me as far left as I am was working as a special ed teacher in an inner city school for a year where I saw that a lot of kids who had very similar challenges to me, except with the added challenges of poverty and in some cases, abuse and neglect. And I can't accept yeah. any society that would allow that to happen but speaking on a more personal and in terms of petty grievances against atypical <laughs> like that you showed that scene where the protagonist apparently has his hyperfixation is antarctica and he has like he develops a girlfriend who's like trying to change him and one of their things is that 
he can only speak about it three times a day and he has to give up a card every time he does. Yeah. And that's like, I mean, I can relate to having hyperfixations that not everyone says. And on my previous podcast, there was even a running joke with my co-host where I had a Metal Gear <laughs> Solid reference jar. <laughs> nice. But yeah and like see and that's and and it's hard because i feel like you know especially i'm used to talking in like parenting groups and other places about this stuff as well and whatever happens is when you when you bring this stuff up usually people kind of push back and be like well it is important to to realize that you can't just talk about what you want all the time and stuff it's like yeah but you don't have to show it that way like like you okay the show could have had an interesting angle of she could have respected the fact that that's something he's really interested in, but like sometimes she doesn't want to hear it. Right. Like there's, there's a very interesting conversation to be had in there, but we don't get that. We just get this like focus on like, well, obviously you're not normal. So therefore your behavior is wrong versus, you know, navigating like the boundaries there and everybody's needs. Um, And I find that particularly frustrating. Um, And it's something I've run into a lot. And it's it's things that like your average person, like the problem is like they never ran into it. So they have a hard time even thinking about like what's going on. They just get really hyper fixated on why can't you just do it like everybody else rather and, than taking a step back and looking at it. Yeah. And with a lot of these hyper fixations, as I've learned, they're not cut off from the rest of the world like there are ways to use them to your benefit and to learn a lot more and connect with people better like antarctica is a big topic there's a lot that encompasses it it's certainly like something that could be advantageous to the protagonist if you were getting into the scientists sciences or if you were getting into conservation environmental rights since it's kind of melting right now yeah yeah well and that's i mean that's something i mean actually in the show the reason he is um he likes antarctica so much is is yeah it's it's actually a career thing or at least it becomes something where like he wants to pursue um his art for science so like using his art you know to draw things from antarctica and stuff like that so that's actually becomes like a motivation thing um and so yeah i mean yeah exactly It, it could definitely be and that's why actually, I mean, I, I was actually even trying to reference like um, a lot of times I, I flip the language where, you know, uh, I was saying hyperfixate as far as like, you know, your average neurotypical will hyperfixate on the different behavior. Because um, it's it's funny how a lot of the language gets coded where it's like, just because it's abnormal, we get like a special term. Like, for for example, like it can't just be like something you're interested in or a hobby it becomes like a special interest um, becomes the the terminology. And, you know, and and not all uses of that are like bad or something, but like, it's just interesting how everything gets coded where like, okay, so all you're saying is most people wouldn't like really like this thing. Um, But like, you know, that's not true for everyone. Like, okay, there are people who aren't autistic who will like an odd thing. You know, it's, it's just, I don't know. So it's, it's just funny how that works where like, The, the language is completely defaulting to, you know, again, the average versus like looking at um, what's going on. And yeah. 
I just I just find that really funny. So yeah, and in in your videos, another theme that comes up as you analyze media is not only the rights and welfare of neurodivergent people, but of people in general, particularly children, because yeah. use a video on the movie Coraline to make the point about how children are just kind of inherently oppressed. And I know that's a big statement, but it makes sense because they have yeah. so little power over their lives and they're so vulnerable to the whims of adults, even if the adults don't realize it. Like that whole movie is a good way to set it up because you have the character in this fantasy animated movie. She doesn't, Coraline doesn't really have any friends at first in her new place. And her parents are incredibly busy and they're working very hard for her to support her clearly, but she doesn't know that. And they're extremely rude and dismissive to her. So of course the plot is her going to this fantasy mirror world where she has the other mother who's constantly doting and loving, but ultimately suffocating and a lot worse in that way. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I it's a really important issue. I, I would say that, I mean, I guess they're linked for me, um, but like child oppression and like the idea of like, you know, child liberation i guess is the main thing that probably like changed my politics in a way like so i guess finding out about autism and then also just being a parent myself um and realizing all the things i was doing that you know in hindsight i feel are harmful things that are considered normal um you know that got me down a huge path of researching things um and got me thinking about this stuff a lot more and, you know, I, I was even thinking about it, you know, you mentioned, you know, your experience in, you know, a classroom with special ed with students, right? And that's exactly what it made me think of is that all this stuff, like the oppression is happening, like to the parents and stuff as well. But it's it's kind of like um, the, the children are even a step below that where like kind of everything is rolling downhill and they really get the worst of it because they don't have any agency. So by the time that they are adults, like, most of their environment and everything has been completely out of their control. So it's complete luck, whether or not you kind of went through hell or if you are in a good spot. Um, yeah. And it's a pretty frightening responsibility as a parent or a teacher, any kind of role model figure to a child, because if, even if you mean, well, you're not, human you're prone to mistakes and prone to losing your temper but something yeah. that just seems like a moment for you can really stick with them yeah exactly i mean that's i mean i think one of the things i'm i guess proudest of in our household is like you know we we mess up all the time like my ideal i'll, I'll never live up to my ideal um but the main thing that i am proud of i think in our household is that you can tell there's a general sense of like safety in that like our kids, even quite young feel safe and like calling us out. So like, they'll tell us like, Oh, you raised your voice a little or, or you know what I mean? Like, um, and so I think the big focus is kind of on like being okay with like being wrong and yeah. like apologizing and, and talking things out. So it's like, cause yeah, you're, we're all going to have our own stressors and stuff. And so just having that, um on the table i think helps a lot mitigate 
mitigate things because then you get to talk it out more. Um, and I don't know, but I mean, we, and you know, be fair, we obviously, um, you know, we're decently well off. Um, so like, I think the main constraint for a lot of people is, is time. Like I know like the, the time I act the worst is when I feel like, Oh my God, we have to go now. Like, you know, we're, we're going to be late or there's a appointment or things like that. And so it's the time pressure and, you know, your average parent, like um, between working, who knows how many jobs and everything else, like you're kind of just constantly under this, this time pressure. And I think that leads to, a lot of sucky things because you know uh yeah it's just again it's just um the parents are also being under under pressure and so and particularly with disabilities you know um it happens a lot because then they don't know what to do and all of a sudden there's like an extra thing on their on their plate of like yeah oh wait autism what do i do with that and then you just listen to you know whatever the doctor tells you and unfortunately there's a lot of not great advice out there especially in america um the default is pretty awful um in general it's, it really it's, so it's it really is completely random depending on what doctor you saw so yeah. and uh, i mean child welfare and child liberation sounds like a truism on the face of it because like who doesn't care about children but the way it actually manifests in politics especially on the right wing is that they romanticize children they don't get, actually give a shit about the things that materially affect them Oh, yeah. Like, this is uh, the way I always distinguish it is you can tell um, very easily by certain wording. So, for example, with right wingers, the focus is on parental rights. And that's never my focus. I, I never care about my rights as a parent. I only care about my children's rights. And now occasionally that means that the way that's going to happen is because I'm able to do that, but I'm doing it on their behalf. So there's a there's a distinct difference there. So like, um right-wingers are always worrying about like they want control to do what they want um and so they just want to be able to exert their control on their own children um and, and yeah especially you know obviously uh, religion and other things are overlap with that not always but like it can yeah um, but yeah and so it's like, like that's usually how you can tell in, in my mind whether or not someone's talking from a more kind of like left perspective or like right perspective is you you'll see the difference in wording of like this person's talking about children's rights and this person's talking about leave the children alone. It's up to the parents. Yeah. Kind of thing. It, and of course they always project the things that affect children and hurt them to like some mysterious outside force, like a satanic <laughs> panic or now QAnon and the cabals of child sacrificing. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's it's really that makes, I hate how they co-opt that that stuff. And um, they make it harder to actually help people in real life who deal with real abuse which is often not coming from like some monster in the bushes but from within the house. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean that's that's the thing. Yeah, it's uh you know, um yeah, everyone knows of like stranger danger and, and all this stuff where it's like yeah that's not super likely compared to like people you actually know right like that's that's a far more likely problem um for for most kids um, yeah so it's interesting and you know and that's another thing with that is like we kind of ingrain um culturally it tends to ingrain kind of like isolating the kids more where it's like you only turn to your family don't go elsewhere um 
you know, it, it's like Stranger Danger being a good example where instead of having like a conversation about, you know, maybe specific scenarios the, you know, the teaching is kind of more like you don't talk to anybody. Um, but obviously in many situations on average, like if you needed help, you should turn to someone, even if you don't know them. Um, and so, you know, that tends to get overlooked. And so I, I always find that problematic because it's like, well, we're like a lot of cultural stuff is actively isolating children more um, as, as time goes on in a way. Um, so that a lot of it is a, as usual, a uniquely American problem in the way everything is so hyper atomized and individualized without. Oh yeah. Care of I mean, if you look at somewhere like, um, like South Korea or somewhere, my understanding is there like, you know, culturally, it's very normal for a kid to be out basically most of the day. Um, things are much more communal, like eating out or playing games, stuff like that. They'll have like, you know, uh, PC centers kind of thing and, and stuff like that. So like, it's, it's much more normal in other cultures for kids to do their own thing more and, and get out. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's definitely a, a bigger thing here where we, we've gone more in a more direction of being more individualized and atomized, like you said. Yeah. In one of the reasons I set up this podcast is because, well, representation in media is obviously not the entirety of what we need to do to make the world better. It, it does offer a really good starting point to see something that we can aspire to. And we talk a lot about like the negative portrayals of autistic characters, but there have been strides towards ac actual inclusion in in media and characters who are, actually feel like characters instead of stereotypes. And yeah, so we saw your video on the Pixar short loop about an autistic girl and a boy at camp and how the boy is partnered with her on a canoeing exercise. And it's clear that he's the one making a lot of the mistakes too. Right. Yeah. That's absolutely great short. Um, definitely. If, if, if anyone who hasn't seen the Pixar's loop, it's a, it's a really great example of, you know, just a short, you know, it's what, like six, seven minutes, maybe. Um, yeah. It does a better job than most than most representations I've seen. Yeah, and there, in terms of representation, we're finally getting to see characters who are clearly, if not outright labeled as autistic, then clearly coded coded as such, like Entrapta from She-Ra or Futaba from Persona Five. No, I haven't played Persona Five, but yeah, I I really enjoyed Entrapta um, quite a bit. So. Yeah, yeah. I, th I think she was a great example. It, well, it's good that it's being done with that in mind. And it, it makes for better characters to just have like this knowledge of neurodiversity and how people can be different. That doesn't mean lionizing them any more than it means demonizing <laughs> them too exactly yeah yeah and i mean i mean i mean amusingly before that like right like a lot of times the best representation was like accidental yeah where you just had characters who um you know they were just written as normal characters but like 
they essentially were accidentally coded as autistic. And so a lot of times it was like the head cannon that worked the best. Um, whereas in almost every time you got a flat out intentional representation, you got the stereotype. Yeah. So one of the videos that I saw that wasn't related specifically to autism or d disability rights when you did on the ideology of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, mm -hmm. which I liked because it was a very nuanced look at the characters and specifically the character of Carly of the Flag Smashers and comparing her ideology to, to the real world anarchist collective of the Zapistas in Mexico and showing how what what she does is different and how it doesn't work for her in a way that I'm, I don't think the writers themselves would imagine. Certainly not a lot of the lefty hot takes on the show <laughs> had represented, including admittedly my own. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, yeah. And I just thought it was an interesting um, comparison. I don't, I, I'd be, I tried to look at it. I would be curious to know if the writers, if there was any, intentional stuff there but I, I i doubt it a little bit i mean i'm sure probably some of the um the visuals might have been inspired by just because they'd seen stuff before kind of thing um but yeah um you know and it still had like <laughs> i still have problems with the show like i, I did like a lot of raw obviously that's why i talked about it but um i just found that you know comparison interesting it's something that i i I actually kind of hated how the show ended with that because I would have loved to see, it feels like the movement wouldn't just go away. Um, and so it feels like we should see more on that. Um, I don't know if we will. I kind of doubt it, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but uh... well, the problem being that even though there was supposedly a movement of millions in the flag smashers across the world, Carly was largely acting independent of them, even independent of her fellow super soldiers yeah 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 um but yeah it, it would be cool if they if they pick it up and do something with different with that like yeah. some of the people gather again or, or something um but yeah i mean i do think that's another thing you know was kind of getting on that or like when you i guess um operate in that way like carly did like it kind of defangs the movement because it does mean that like if if um you know, if just the main people are taken out, that's it. It's over. Yeah. Uh, whereas if they had more control and democracy in it, then yeah. I'd like to assume that the show sees the value of the flag smashers because when I, when there's the end where Sam Wilson becomes Captain America and he's giving the speech to the senators about how they need to do better because what they're doing is wrong and it's going to just keep leading to violence like the flag smashers are causing that of course because it's a, it's a tv show when no. sam speaks truth to power they go along with it and they do enact those reforms having been apparently moved by his words but the reality is that his words just gave them a convenient pretext to pivot because they knew that if they didn't like stop deporting all these refugees, there would be even more violence against them. Right. And I yeah. think that's a good 
examination about how like the kind of liberal reforms that are the right way to do things need some kind of explicit material threat behind them to the status quo if they're to get anywhere. Yeah. I mean, there is an element of like, I, I didn't, I, I didn't love exactly how they handled the show. I feel like some lead up would have been better, but like, I think that could have been shown better with the whole like bombing thing where she was like, it's the only language they understand. Like there is some understandableness to that, but in the way it was delivered in the show, it feels a little bit like, um, it just, you know, escalated a little oddly, you know, it was okay. It wasn't like completely jarring, but it was, it was an element of like, I think that's something that I would have loved to see explored a little more. Um, I don't know. I keep hoping that they, like I said, that they'll come back to this a little bit, yeah. but uh, I'm not expecting it, but like, it would be nice. It'd be cool. Yeah. So going forward, are there any projects you're working on that we can expect to see in the near future? So yeah, I have kind of two in the works right now and they're both, uh, they're both Marvel ones that are related to disability stuff. Um I have one on Hawkeye talking about the importance of the representation. And I, I was very surprised by the representation of disabilities in that, both for deafness and just, you know, she's also uh, Maya's disabled in other ways as well. And then also uh, Clint's hard of hearing. Um, and so I kind of get into that. Um, there's an important scene in there where they kind of push back on the idea of like, normally we see narratives about like kind of overcoming and fixing disabilities. And we got narrative in there of like, you know, actually maybe you shouldn't be trying to fix this and you should learn to live with this. Like we get this line between um, Echo and, and Hawkeye. Um, so I kind of dive into that and talk about um, how that pertains to deaf culture uh, in particular, um, since that's what's brought up on the show. And then I'm also writing one related to Loki that uh, I'm actually probably going to record today. Um, and that kind of talks more about, um, you know, Loki being an outcast and why being different um, is kind of so scary in, in this world. Because um, I, I saw a lot of allegory in the TVA in the kind of world we live in. Um, like we kind of have our own version of the sacred timeline. and um, And so that's... Uh, so yeah, so those are two that are hopefully will be, you know, next couple weeks, I guess, will be out. Yeah. It's, well, I look forward to them. Thank you, Willow, for being on. Check out their channel, Questing Refuge, for all these great videos. And if you're interested in having your own progressive projects promoted, feel free to contact me and we'll set something up. Thank you, Willow. Thank you so much for having me on, Neil.